Exciting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Benny. Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends. Uh, we join you from the hot, hot, hot July fields of Muncie, Indiana, <laughs> where we have currently been poisoned by a yes. farmer <laughs> spraying fields with ammonia. And it clearly says, inhalation danger hazard on the side of it. I, it's well documented that I hate this time of year, and I'm out there being a good sport. Got you cooking out, hopping in the pool, and this son of a bitch drives by. On the Ooh, other, it burnt. The other side of the tractor, it said, "You need a, you need a crop." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was in that HBO show Chernobyl. <laughs> so it is pertinent if uh, things go quiet, we'll be looking out for each other. Yeah, what if, like the heat on the last? If episode. it gets silent and hear us pass out, we need you to call nine one one. We'll already be dead by the time you hear this episode, but at least you cared. All right, it's another installation of the Monster Mash. The insulation? Yeah, well, we need better insulation. Inhalation. Did we do yeah. introductions? Yep. <laughs> or did we? I. Uh, my name is Grizzly Abner, and I chose a film called Hills Run Red. Professor, I chose the Twilight Zone, the movie. Vinny, I chose... The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. Inhalation Toddy. <laughs> I chose Needful Things by Stephen King. All right. We're going to get this started with Toddy's pick of Needful Things. Give us the dates and details. Needful Things. 1993. Directed by Fraser C. Heston. Yes, the son of Charles Heston. Maybe Charlton. And Kelsey Grammer. Ooh. In my house, he was Charles. Uh, <laughs> what house were you we're so, in? We're so high. <laughs> Based on the novel by Stephen King, uh, starring Max Van Sydow as Leland Gaunt, Ed Harris as Sheriff Alan Peng- Pengborn, Pengborn. 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 Bonnie Bedelia, J.T. Walsh, Amanda Plummer. Uh, that's the essential cast. Yeah. Am I the only one who, whenever I think or hear Ed Harris's name, I hear the Beastie Boys? <laughs> My name was Eddie Harris. <laughs> Am I the only one? Probably. Okay. <laughs> I well, like that we the had, gloves are off. We had Max von Sydow playing Vincent Price in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he was in terrible need of a manicure, if you saw his hands. Oh, yeah. So what's the synopsis? So, uh, some needful things, which the book and movie were tagged. I don't know so much the movie, but the last Castle Rock story. Mm. Um, those familiar with Castle Rock is a famous little town of uh, quite a few Stephen King novels and movies. They took it from take that, place there. Uh, Hulu show. Uh, they did not. <laughs> uh, which uh, so Ed, Ed Harris's character uh, Alan Pangborn was also um, from Dead Zone and Dark Half, and the character is also on Castle Rock. Yeah. 
they bring him on the TV show too. Um, so small town, and uh, there's a a shop opening of uh, kind of curious goods called Needful Things, and the owner is uh, who's played by Max Van Cedal, uh Leland Gott, who may or may not be the devil himself. The devil. And uh, so everybody that uh, that shops there, they find that one item that they just have to have for, for whatever reason. And uh, not only is the price affordable, but usually uh, it comes with more of a, a monetary, uh, small monetary value and, uh, and a deed that needs fulfilled. And then uh, with a lot of uh, mischievous uh, things happen, that the town kind of becomes at each other. Yeah, and sums it up pretty good. There you go. Yeah. Uh, this is my first time viewing it. Um, didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Right about where I thought it'd be. Uh, this is one of those ones that I was right at the age to start being old enough to be familiar with when the book came out and when the movie came out versus being fascinated by all this older Stephen King stuff that my dad knew and had. This is where I got to be a part of it around this and like the dark half in that era. So there's a, you know, in fairness, a certain nostalgic uh, favoring element to this for me. Um, it's not a scary movie. It's yeah. more of, um, it's just a, it's clever at times and it, it's just, it's nice for the castle rock world. It's a quaint, you know, story that, that deals heavily with the citizens of castle rock, mm -hmm. which I think is the main appeal. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but it's just part of that world. So I've always, it's always been there and something that I enjoyed enough. First time view, um, I wasn't knocked out by it. I didn't dislike it, but yeah, it's all right. I think too, it's it's one of those ones that that's a more rewarding experience as a book, getting to know each character and then the motives. Sure, um, that can't really be translated comfortably mm -hmm. into a, a feature film. They probably made a better TV series. Yeah, like a, certainly a mini series, yeah. like most of King's films. Yeah. Um, uh, so I've seen this quite a few times, actually just purchased, purchased, purchased it, <laughs> Worcestershire. Nevertheless, he persisted. Uh, purchased off of, um, uh, Kino Lorber, uh, Blu-ray. Um, I saw this when it came out in the theater and I'm, I'm sure at this point, pretty much anything Stephen King related, like from Pet Cemetery 2 to, to this, I would go see in the theater. I never did get around to reading the book. Um. I always enjoyed the movie. It's definitely it's not a horror movie. It's more of a like a mischievous thriller, I guess, because there's there's kind of a, a really dark like sense of humor. Um, I did just find out though. It's funny that you guys were talking about what's left out of the book. That there's a four hour cut of this movie that TNT uh, actually put together called More Needful Things. Yeah. Um, we I had originally acquired the three hour cut, but it wouldn't work on my television. Mm. And uh, about 20 minutes into the film, Vinny says, I'm glad we didn't get the three-hour cut. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm sure it would have went into uh, more characters. There's actually the, the trailer I've always noticed that, which is common for movies, that there are scenes from the trailer that were not in the film. So it makes sense that there's a, a longer cut. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I know people that have it. I'm, I'm assuming they just have found the bootleg of it or somebody. 
has recorded it off I TV. I didn't know that there was a longer cut until you texted about it, Grizz. Yeah. I, I had never even heard of that. I didn't realize. Yeah. It was on Cinemageddon. Right. Um, yeah, we ended up having to rent it off of Amazon. But, uh, you know, one thing I want to say before we get into the details of this film. Which uh, should be pretty quick. Yeah. Because I assume we're not going to go through every single right. bad deed. Yeah. I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like Stephen King read Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked. This I was going to bring that up later. And then listened to Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones and then wrote this book. Yeah. Yeah, he, he certainly has pulled heavily from things before, yeah. if not ripped it off. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a great observation. Because I wasn't familiar with that story until we covered it for the podcast. Yeah. And I remember watching it and going, needful things. Needful Son things. of a bitch. Yeah, I used to get them mixed up, actually. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I will say there's a couple things that, that the, they changed at the last minute. So um, what's his name? Brian? Brian Rusk, the the young boy. Mm-hmm. So he actually kills himself, but they don't like. You never see him again in the film, but they said he survived. Right. So they just felt that that was too much. I think that would have added to the movie. And um, I think it it was it would have been another King trope, though. Well, you know, he likes to kill kids. That is true. Well, for once, we let the kid live. Yeah, which is pretty odd. <laughs> yeah. Um. Needful things. <laughs> well, there's, some, there's, I don't know. It, it's weird because there's some of the stuff they do. Obviously, the skinning the dog was pretty gruesome, but like the two ladies going at each other. It didn't kill yeah. kids. So I had to kill a dog. Right. Yeah, so basically, what he's doing is when people get things that they need or want, he is having them go do deeds for them. But the purpose of the deeds is to create chaos within the community. Right. And so he is getting, like, he gets the young boy to go sling mud and shit all over the one woman's laundry. I'm not even going to try and keep track of the names. But basically, you watch him manipulate all of these people in the community until they're all at each other's throats. Yeah. There's all these various ways that he gets them to antagonize each other. Which was neat. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's that is what kept me interested in the film. Yeah, that's, that. that's the meat of the movie. Let's not... Act like that the cherry on top isn't how prominently achy, breaky heart is featured in the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you know, love that. Uh, something I thought would have been cool was uh, they were going to, I don't remember the character's name, but Kiefer Sutherland's character from Stand By Me was supposed to be in this. Because mm. mm. Stand By Me also took place in Castle Rock. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think if this movie was done now, how much fun it could be if they they did a better job at tying a lot of stuff together. Cause Cujo also castle rock, like, um, so it'd been kind of fun if, and I'm sure that's what they were trying to do with the show castle rock. But so I think what we're getting at is that castle rock should have been this long form. Yeah, pretty much. There it is. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I hadn't really thought of it. That, I think that would be a fascinating long form series mm-hmm. to watch the, the personalities develop. But yeah, it's JT Walsh, I just want to say, is my favorite part of this movie. He always has been. He's just great in that with the line about his wife. Killed my wife. Is that wrong? Is that wrong? I, I do enjoy that uh, this is early 90s, but they still have the, the 80s electricity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blue electricity. I said, there. whoever came up with that made billions of dollars in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> 
Whoever invented the blue electricity effect. I miss I miss that blue electricity. Me too. I um I like that Max von Sydow has, has got the whole town in chaos, right? His character does, and and he's trying to get Ed Harris's character trying to, to get, finish it. Oh, I thought you were gonna say trying to get his fiance's guts. That too. <laughs> but when Ed Harris won't won't finish it, you know, and he's like, You wussy <laughs> favorite line of the movie. Yeah. His his fiance, dime store counselor Troy from Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a working title of this film, Fiance's Guts. Um, <laughs> so do we want to get to the, the ending? Yeah. Um, basically, we have, at this point, rioting in the town uh, all through their little main street there. And uh, Sheriff Pangborn, Ed Harris, uh, basically sobers everybody up. He fires shots off into the air, even though uh, Mr. Gaunt is in is beckoning him to kill. He fires above and uh, gets everybody's attention and basically gets everyone to start explaining what they have done and admitting to what they have done that other people think each other did and all that. And so you get this moment of clarity um, between the citizens where everybody goes, oh, man, wait a minute. Like, you weren't doing that. I'm sorry for being a piece of shit. Uh, And then J.T. Walsh didn't have it. He is still... Still under the spell a little bit longer than everybody else. Um, but uh, they bounce him back and forth kind of like a pawn until he is upset and takes out the devil. Uh, Mr. Gaunt right through the window with his explosives and blows up uh, through the storefront and obviously kills J.T. Walsh's character and then out steps Gaunt unharmed yep. from the rubble and uh, explains to... Um, Ed Harris and Bonnie Bedelia that they make a cute couple and that he will see their grandson in 2053, which I thought was a nice little touch there at the end. He goes, please allow me to introduce myself. <laughs> he, he also uh, said that his son would be president during the mid 2000s. So <laughs> what a, what a jump forward, Stephen King. I, I do. Uh, another thing that's fun about this movie to me is because a lot of Stephen King movies start doing it is, a lot of the actors that are in other Stephen King works start kind of. So Ed Harris was in Creepshow. Bonnie Bedelia was in um, Salem's Lot. Yeah. So, just is kinda... there a capable deputy in all of cinema? No. <laughs> every deputy is a worthless dipshit. There would be no movies movie. if there was. Apparently, <laughs> every deputy is the song Yakety Sex. <laughs> I mean, life. Deputy I'm Dewey so... did save the day. I just want to say before we move on, the interesting thing for me with this watching it as I'm older is understanding uh, the tie-ins to um, either whether it be uh, kind of sinister religious leaders, politicians, and how and viewing it through that scope. When I when I watched this as a kid, he was just the bad guy, mm-hmm. and so on a grander scale, it's more interesting as an adult for me to think back to that experience while I'm watching it now. And thinking about how this is really easily applied when you look at, at how a lot of politicians behave. Sure. And how their main goal is to make money, why they get us to scream at each other. And there's yeah. a lot of direct correlation there with, with what you see with the citizens. Absolutely. Well, did you notice the, the book he's writing it into? Because I actually paused it to see if it had, like, I don't know, like other character names. There's actually like N- Nelson Mandela and stuff written in the book. Oh, wow. I don't believe that he was from Akron, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. 
Anything more to say on Needful Things? Stephen King fans, watch it. Yep. Otherwise, if you're wanting a scary movie, maybe not for you. Yep, I'd say the same. I'd agree with that. Uh, I will say it's it's one of the, the last few good movies before King's work kind of went doo-doo for yeah. a while before he this resurfaced. It strikes me, cycle. I think I said this to Abner when we were watching it, this seems like this was at the tail end of King having decent properties mm-hmm. that hadn't been turned into anything yet. Yeah. And when everybody was just buying anything that had his name on it. Because, like, was Thinner after this? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not crazy about that movie. And, and Thinner was a rare one that it went theatrical. Because at, the, at that, shortly after Needful Things, um, I think it was made a year before. Um, so a lot of his work was going straight to TV or, or DVD. Or I guess VHS back in that time. Good Good times. Good times. Right. Good times. Good times. Well, moving right along into my pick, Hills Run Red. Todd, you got any dates and details on that? Well, um, first off, I want to say that I I did film uh, in college. I filmed a commercial that was known on TV. It was Tampax's commercial, and it was subtitled The Hills Run Red. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. But Hills Run Red, 2009, uh, written and directed by Dave Parker. And for whatever God knows on earth, starring William Sadler. Uh, and then Sophie Monk and Tad Hilkenbrink, who is in a lot of uh, like Lost Boy sequels and American Pie sequels. And okay. That's, that's your movie in a nutshell. Let's go on to the next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I chose this one. And um, why? Because I like it. <laughs> That was a very pregnant why. I want to do. Um, it's getting hateful. I, I just feel like it was a good uh, slasher that went under the radar. That, uh, you know, wasn't... It's nothing too out of the ordinary, but I think it's unique and creative enough to be fun. And so, probably my third or fourth time watching it, and I like it. Wow. Uh, this is probably my third time seeing it. I think initially I saw this based on um, your recommendation, Grizz, around the time when I first started going to conventions. And I kind of sponged up the idea of wanting to, to get out into some more brand new stuff because I was, you know, so buried in watching classic stuff from 20, 30 years ago. That, so I tried out some of these like uh, Mask Maker and this and a few others Behind around the same time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this wasn't a first time watch for me. I enjoyed it. It's it's out of the the class of decent um, independent uh, franchises that were kind of born or uh, icons from that era. It's towards the bottom of that group, sure. but it's still uh, better than your your common you know five dollar bin horror movie that you're finding that you haven't heard of. So right. there's plenty of merit there in in that regard. It's funny you should bring up $5 bins of things you've never heard of <laughs> because this is exactly what I feel like this movie is. Uh, I think I had seen the artwork, the cover or whatever before. That big baby looking thing. Yeah. And the cover turned me off. Like That's why I didn't check it out for a long time. Someone recommended it to me. I like, so I had never seen it until we watched it for this. I'm not crazy about it by any stretch. Um, I've seen way worse. The biggest problem I have is when you have an actor as good as what William Sadler, 
it makes everyone who's not that good of an actor look even worse. That's fair. That's true. And that's hard to digest. Uh, uh, so first time watch, I was familiar with the movie because we still had the video store open by then. Um, I, I really agree with Vinny. It, I didn't really go crazy over it, but I've seen way worse, especially for this time period and straight to video. Um, most of the straight to video stuff that in this caliber were complete garbage. So it was watchable. Um, but that was it. <laughs> it was watchable. I want that on the fucking case <laughs> for a review. It's, it was watchable. It needs to be on the back of our new Midwest Monsters t shirt. <laughs> it was watchable. TV Guide says, not right now. <laughs> uh, so basically, the gist is is there was a movie called Hills Run Red. It's kind of meta. Um, from 1982. Might be a little too artsy for a lot of you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why it went over your head. Right? <laughs> uh, I like this movie better when it was called Popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> With less hillbillies. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Were you shocked that Robert picked this and it had a tinge of hillbilly to it? <laughs> that's, that's what needs to be on the box for this. Popcorn. <laughs> With hillbillies. I'm enjoying listening to all this fake laughter at each other right now till the table gets flipped and people start swinging at each other. So I hook one of you up to that ammonia. Can I say, I was like, I'm not sure why uh, Abner picked this. And I was like, oh, damn, hillbillies. (laughs) Um, Hillbillies with guns and rape motives. So like a recipe. So anyways, so Hills Run Red is this missing film and only the trailer exists. And there's this nerdy film student who's really excited and he wants to try and find the movie. And he, he thinks he has a lead because the, the director disappeared after making this movie. And so he has a lead. He's found the director's daughter and he's going to go find her and she's going to lead him to the filming locations and give him some missing clues that he thinks he missed out on. Goes to find her. She's a junkie stripper. Um, that's, not, that's, that's, that's about a drug junkie stripper uh, not, that was no no thing about her abilities but, he, he uh, cures her addiction yeah he, he cures it turns her. into blacksmith snake moan <laughs> he cures her off the wild turkey and um they go around and he's making a documentary they go to the filming locations um that's all i think it's his best friend gets with. guts on his girl that's right yeah his his best friend lays pipe to his old lady and uh yeah it's uh it's already you already start with some tension as they start this trip. So I'll leave it there to start with. Any opening comments? Um, exceptionally seedy for for its target audience. Yeah. I, I think that they kind of force it a little bit. I'm not buying the, the, the three younger kids. We've got the steamy shithead affair going on behind them, why the one's obsessed. But, I mean, it's it's just it's fodder. I mean, it gets us to where we need to go. Yeah. They kind of drag it out a little bit. A little there. bit, a little bit, but eh, it's whatever. Need a reason to show some boobies early on. That's so uh, we got her. I thought it was very uh, artistic to why uh, she's coming down <laughs> off her trip. That his uh, old lady's getting banged, and they intercut with each other, and then later on you see him cup of filling her on her passed out boobie. Yeah, he was scummy while she was passed out, which is weird because she tried to have sex with him while she was awake. Just want to put that out there. And he's like, no, it's not what we're here to do. <laughs> you got any notes, Vinny? 
not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they go and they're on location, and all of a sudden they get attacked by the locals. But we first get our appearance from Babyface, that big baby looking. Thing. Which I was waiting for, like L.A. Reid, Babyface, you know, like the producer. <laughs> When can I see what? <laughs> so I'm disappointed. And so Babyface appears, and uh, I like that this guy has got. Uh, I love the scene with the guy with the flares trying to be a badass, and the boyfriend just pulls out a gun and shoots him straight up <laughs> Indiana Jones style. Yeah, Babyface is is expressionless, but even not quite as much as Vinny's been the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Didn't hit with me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, I'm going to tell you here, here comes the spoilers. So skip ahead if you're going to watch this movie. But I understand Todd and Vinny have soiled, or spoiled you at this point. Um, it's all a setup. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> it's all a setup. Uh, we find out that Babyface and uh, the daughter and the father director um, were all in cahoots on this together. Uh, cahoots is one word cahoots for it. Cahoots is one word. Who Sh- wants the... Shocker. Tough. Lay the big hit on him. Well, I mean, I, I think I already used the word hibbly earlier, but I mean, <laughs> so mom's dead. Daddy likes the 13-year-old daughter. Babyface is the spawn of the two. Got they're, some inbreeding. They're inbred child. I feel like this, this, I can see why you chose this movie because it's like a checklist. This is hillbilly. actually a little seedy for Grizz's taste. <laughs> but it's, it's the checklist of hillbilly. It's like incest, check. <laughs> like mountain rape men, check. Billy Horror, check. not all hillbillies. <laughs> there wasn't any moonshine, Todd. Take that. Well, they had one in their back pocket. What about an old girl hidden that barrel of blood? It's hot. <laughs> it's pretty slick. Mm-hmm. Pretty slick idea. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad I'm the only one that showed up for this book report. Hills uh, run red. Well, wait, I don't know where we're going right now. That's <laughs> kind of the problem. The, the, no, that was not aimed at you. Here's the praise <laughs> that I gave this movie by the end of it. Well, it definitely stayed unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, I'll I mean, give it that. Part of the big reveal was that William Sadler's character, Con Cannon, killed Babyface on camera. The original Because actor. he wasn't yeah. performing the way he wanted him to. So he has been him since. Like when we have him out there in the woods with the mask and all that, and then back and forth. And then we've got it turning into the... Uh, the mon- spawn of the incest Mongoloid baby. Yeah, from him having sex with the 13-year-old that has created uh, our new baby face. And it, it's uh, one big sloppy-ass mess out there. Yeah, which I think what I like about that is that, to me, that adds to like the terror. Like, that's pretty creepy. You're out there with these people who the, the dad producer is obviously off his rocker, right? Sure. And you've got this obsessed fan who's who's really getting in for more than he bargained for. You've got the incest story. It's like, oh my god, we're trapped out here in the woods and this is what's happening. And then, I don't know that Babyface is a mongoloid because there's that very creepy part where old girl's trying to like sing to him to like put him mm-hmm. at ease. Oh, well, he but... did cut his own face off, so we can't see what he looks like now. Right. And old girl was like singing to him, trying to get him to like not kill her. And he goes... You can keep singing if it makes you feel better. And it's like, oh God, he's cognizant. Like he's not just some. I think that was. I think that was just a, an outtake of the, of the actor speaking. <laughs> accidental, accidental. Those director over. notes from the side. 
there's a Starbucks cup in the corner if you look. <laughs> See, uh, the, the, the ending is quite rapid with all of the turns and twists yes. on each other. It's like a, pew, 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 like pew. a messy noir ending. Um, you have the daughter Alexis stabbing and killing the friend of our main character, uh, our director, telling his daughter that he's the only director and shooting her. We have then Babyface angered over her being shot and fighting Cunt Cannon. Uh, Tyler begins filming and encourages Babyface, who kills Cunt Cannon. And then Babyface then turns and tries to kill Tyler. Uh, but Serena stabs him, the girlfriend, uh, Tyler's girlfriend, through the back with a staff. Then Serena and Tyler are then knocked unconscious by a shovel from Alexa, who is still alive. Uh, and then we meet up with Alexa, who then forces them to watch her cut of the film. It's craziness. It is. I, my note says that Babyface kills his dad paw. <laughs> that would have been a good title. Dad paw. <laughs> dad paw. And so, yeah, they're watching the cut of the film, and you just kind of get uh, our main character laughing hysterically into the credits. Well, All right. Wasn't there, was that, was the end credit scene? Where oh, she's wait, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. Give him the, give him what shows up. So if you, if you, didn't get up to stop it right away. <laughs> Which many did. I was asleep. Uh, he tripped over himself. So the uh, the the daughter killer, whatever. Uh, so the the girlfriend is still alive and prego, and she's uh, just waiting for that baby to pop out, and presumably the next next baby face. Yeah, you find out that while she was uh, while she was held captive, that baby face had his way with her. Or yeah, the, checklist. Or Robert the best rape. friend. Come oh, theme going or maybe, on. or maybe it's the, the best friends. Yeah, so right. it makes sense now that they had a weird love scene, why some girl's coming off heroin. I like your Very story artsy. Better. Very I like artsy. Your story better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, would you guys recommend this to anyone? Uh, anyone who likes horror films, yes. I would say if you're interested in um, Slasher. modern slashers, it can't hurt to throw it in your list. But to the uh, average horror fan, I, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you're interested in that uh, kind of pocket of, of those films, it's definitely worth watching for that. I will agree with that. Yeah. I'd concur. Because Baby Face uh, is still pretty cool. If sci fi yeah. shown Sharknado for the 10th time and you're bored, pop this on. <laughs> Fair and, enough. <laughs> Andrew Cable goes out. Go watch this one. <laughs> okay, moving right along. I will say it was uh, worth the free rental from Voodoo with commercials. Thank you, Voodoo. <laughs> this episode brought to you by... <laughs> Tell you guys about Squarespace. <laughs> okay, <laughs> on to the next. Yeah, that's me. Whoa, wow. Uh, wow, <laughs> I don't know why. Get ready to get uh, bored, folks. So... I picked The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. Is it Earth or Earth? It's Earth. With an <laughs> uh, uh, Vincent Price or Vincent Christ? It is <laughs> It is a, an adaptation of I Am Legend, written by, was it Sidney Salkow? Will Smith. Uh, <laughs> was it Richard Matheson, or he just wrote the script? Richard Matheson is in it. Oh, no, no, no you're right. Richard yeah, Matheson, right. it was directed by Ubaldo Rogana. I don't know. My notes are all over the place. My notes are all over the place. So let's do details. Go for it. Last man on earth. Didn't do your job. 1964. (laughs) Ubaldo Regego. Regona. 
uh, starring Vincent Price, uh, Richard Matheson, uh, Matheson. wrote the book, that I Am Legend. Yes. Which this movie obviously copied from that Will Smith movie. Obviously. Uh Um, And then, just to know, obviously I Am Legend's the second remake. The first remake was Omega Man. The Omega Man with Charles Heston. Charles Heston. (laughs) Charlie Heston. Uh, I picked this one. You're a rat bastard, Charlie Heston. (laughs) I picked this one because... I think it's a crime that we are hundred and some episodes in, and this is only the third movie of Vincent Price's that have been done on a Is this only podcast. the third? I believe wow. so. Uh, not by wow. far not my wow. favorite Vincent Price movie. I picked it mostly because I we had mentioned I Am Legend in the vampire episode, uh, and I feel like somewhere down the line we will probably end up watching The Omega Man, so I kind of wanted to cover this one first. Only if you pick it. Um, it is also, and I will, <laughs> keep popping them lips. It'll be the next mash. Um, no leprechaun. But yeah, and, pl- and it's very easy to find. It's a public domain movie. It's very easy to get a hold of. That's why I picked this one. Todd Toddy, thoughts? Um, I had not seen this movie until a few years ago. Um, Scream Collection. Yeah, I think it was in the Scream Collection. Uh, I was doing like a Halloween challenge, and I think Vincent Price came up, and I was just trying to watch something I hadn't seen. Uh, I think it's interesting to note that this is a few years before Night of the Living Dead. Bingo. So, because uh, really, the in this, I think the book is vampires. In this one, they're vampires. I think Omega Man zombies. But these but they're feel like, like yeah, they feel like more, this weird hybrid. They're they're almost what we would think of as zombies yes. are. I think uh, yeah, Ramiro. Ob- we didn't know. Of yeah, kind of zombies yet. So Ramiro, I think obviously he took to what we know of zombies. But uh, so really, it's almost just like weird people outside. Uh, they've gone a little bit tarred. So they may be vampire. They may be uh, zombies. Not sure. Might be Trump supporters. But um, yeah. So. There's not a lot of Is not a lot still here. Listen, not a lot going on. Crickets, no. Sorry. Um, I don't know. Are we doing the the synopsis or just just initial mushroom? thoughts first? Um, oh, it, it's not an exciting movie, but it there's something about Vincent Price movies, so I still enjoy it. It's it's not fast paced, so if you the if you don't like a slow burner, um, and and this is this is pre uh. I know it's kind of for the time period. It's not exactly a monster movie, so it's not the Universal Monsters. It's not a slasher. So it's it's kind of um, when this movie came out, there wasn't a lot to to mold from. So you know, to where I am, le- the I am Legend uh, with Will Smith is a lot of CGI things running at you. So I don't know. I enjoy it. Uh, I don't mind watching it every now and then. I would say it's not my favorite Vincent Price though. Grizz, first time viewing. Uh, decent movie. Obviously, not my favorite Vincent Price. Um, one thing I found humorous about the film is that uh, it's hard to take Vincent Price and kind of make him an action star because this was. Oh like, yeah, oh yeah. It's like it's like they're coming at him and he's like, "Back you devils!" <laughs> I like, I, that that did stress me out though because I'm like, "Could you at least hide or run, please?" <laughs> I love how he's still dressed as Vincent Price and like. <laughs> He's the last person alive, but he's still got a sports jacket on and all this stuff. And loafers. Yeah. And he's like, back, I dare you. Get get away. 
you know? Don't shoot Dude, me. If I was the last person on earth, I'd have fun with it. I would wear like a skirt as a belt <laughs> and nothing else. Just running around. <laughs> and like at the end when he's throwing the bombs, he's just like underhand tossing them five <laughs> feet away. He's like, take that. <laughs> Be gone, you devils. <laughs> Not easy being refined. <laughs> so then, <laughs> I'm not going to say, that took me out of the movie. It didn't. It just made me laugh. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's a good movie. It's better than that Will Smith uh, movie. Um, so, it, Professor is seething with anger right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm on. <laughs> but, uh, That's the ammonia. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, I feel like we're going to turn into those vampire people with this ammonia getting sprayed on us but um i wasn't crazy about it but i didn't dislike it i like that the one was almost outside kind of like a streetcar named desire like this i don't even know what viewing this was for me probably the third or fourth i've seen it a couple times yeah i am obsessed with this movie actually i think uh more than anything this is just kind of a there's two reasons to watch this. One, Vincent Price. Even the most boring movie with him, it's Vincent Price. Exactly. There's way worse ways to mm-hmm. spend a late night screening of something. And two, as you referenced, Hot Toddy, this is before Night of the Living Dead and all of the survival with through the plague that, that would come into cinema and never go away, you know, kind of in different phases. But that's that's a mainstay now. This was not... If you went to see this in the theater in 1964, this was new to you, and this was a much scarier idea. It was, you know what I mean? It's just the elements that went on to to improve upon this through George Romero and all the people that ripped him off over the years. Those things didn't exist when this did, and so for what it is and Matheson's writing, it's a pretty cool story. It's just we have over 50 years worth of imitation and homage thrown upon that concept through the modern zombie that Romero really created. Um, the, I, that's what I think is most fascinating about it, that when you watch that, all of the movies that we know didn't exist then. And so that doesn't, it's not the viewer's job to make concessions for that. If you're bored watching this compared to uh, Dawn of the Dead, you don't have to pretend to like this as much as that by any means. But I do think that that's an interesting element. So even if somebody were like, I, I don't know if I really want to see that, even just a one-time viewing, I think is good just to put in perspective where it was ahead of what so many people would go on to love. The Walking Dead's one of the hugest things that's ever been on television. Well, you know, we all know the roots where that traces back to, and this is even before those roots. And I just think that's interesting because nobody ever mentions the story in relation to that. Yeah. So that's those are just also uh, wouldn't this kind of be uh, I don't know maybe a decade in of, of like some of the vaccinations for like polio and because because I I'm not sure if the original story which is sad it's sitting on a shelf I've never read it uh, but I, I think it's isn't it kind of like bloodborne and. Well, they're talking about the, the I think the Will Smith wind, one, I think, might be a little in. bit closer to the book, but... Um, well, along those lines, one question I had. Do, do we know when the book was written? I think the book came out... Because he was known for late 50s, because he did the... Was it The Legend of Hell House he did? And hmm. and, and then he wrote Jaws Stir 3. Uh, uh, well, okay, yeah. So I don't know when the book was written, but I know... I mean, for me, watching this film, this film had to be heavily influenced by the Cold War. 
like the fear of, of yeah you know, of a nuclear holocaust or whatever exactly and what the world would look like afterwards and you know a new society raising up like i feel like it's like that would have been huge appeal for this film when it came out i don't know about i can't i can't think of movies either that it, i think the most apocalyptic in the 50s was just aliens coming and stuff i can't right i can't mean, really think of a, an apocalypse movie before this i am legend was 1954 okay yeah then i mean that's prime i mean that's the yeah, we're right in the height of, you know, things getting heated up. And then by the 60s, you know, kids are still hiding under desks at that point. So, yeah, I feel like this was Cold War motivated for sure. And that would Did we hit a synopsis of what Not the yet. movie's about? Yeah, yeah okay. Just doing initial thoughts. Right. Did we do introductions? We <laughs> <laughs> Ten times. All right, somebody give us a synopsis. Uh, basically every day is identical for Dr. Morgan. He goes out, he hunts and kills, uh, vampires because we have had a plague come through, um, and basically turn everybody into them. They, and we have the basic concepts with the garlic and, and the daylight. And they all don't that. like to see their own reflection. Right. And so at night he boards himself up inside his home and during Protected the day. Protected by a mirror on the door. Yeah. He goes <laughs> out and, uh, he, he hunts and disposes of bodies and, just exists and tries to make his uh, area a better area. Um, I guess with the hope and promise that he can figure out or someone can a solution at some point, but you're basically watching him exist by himself. We have a few things that he encounters along the way. Um, and like any survival story, those things are monumental when they're really just small, but they're not in those settings. So encountering a dog, uh, that he sees running around and chasing after oh, it because he man. just wants a Which friend. Like Puka. Um, I know, man. That really hit for me. I'm like, man, I can't imagine how lonely this bastard is. And I know I know how much joy my dog brings me. And to watch him just fucking pitifully chasing that dog, I'm like, <laughs> I would too, man. Well, and then the dog shows up at his house, and you're like, oh, good. Yeah. It's a vampire. Because we know that Vincent... Yeah, and then the we... dog dies. And I'm yeah. like, God, no, why? <laughs> we all know that Vincent Price would have never caught it. <laughs> Come here, you dog. <laughs> Come here for a moment. Let me see you. These loafers are preventing me from accelerating much more. I feel like my Vincent Price is more uh, Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> but yeah, we we basically spend the first half of the film getting to know him, both in the present settings, and then we also flash back to the experience of him losing his wife and child, yeah. which is particularly brutal. Yeah, uh, well especially when he's disposing of the daughter. Well, and you think, That's too, tough. if you go back and look at a lot of horror movies from the early 60s, this is pretty dark. Yeah. Um, and so, which, you know, add that in with the present day setting of being the only human being around. It's it's a bleak film. Um, Did you like when he was going to get new mirrors and he's shopping? Like, he's not just grabbing mirrors, he's shopping for the ones that are aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> Walk that back one more step. <laughs> There was a fucking mirror store. <laughs> Dude, it's the 60s, though. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is he's, like, he's like, well, these devils broke my mirror. I'm going to go and <laughs> down to the mirror store and get another. <laughs> Wilson's pissed. I don't know how to act right now. But no, I want to, before Benny derailed your very deep thoughts on the film, Benny's like, hey, dog, you went and got mirrors. <laughs> Wilson is giving a very thoughtful reflection. And uh, reflection, wanna... get it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, 
a lot darker than what we were used to. Uh, I forgot where I am. <laughs> it's the ammonia. So uh, we do find out later why he's immune because he was like in a, a cave or something and a vampire bat bit him. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's the same uh, one they got Cujo. from a previous yeah. bite from a vampire <laughs> bat in Panama. Panama. Uh, Live it up, McLovin. Um, <laughs> I had a thought. Oh, yeah. So at 20 minutes in, when they get to this backstory, I'm like, oh, thank God. If I just had to watch him fight these lazy vampires <laughs> for another hour. I don't know that I could make I it don't, this I, film. The, the, the solitude's not even what bothers me. I will say it is the... And again, they didn't have a reference. It was the weird, like they, they did not know how to play the vampires. Like the one screaming out in the street, the other one comes in and is like, "Oh, hey, hey," <laughs> <laughs> does like an Anne Margaret dance, and he's just slapping them back out of the, his apartment. <laughs> Which, to be fair, too, Night of the Living Dead, not everybody knew how to play a zombie either. But sure, sure, we're stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Last Man on Earth. Vinny, uh, you, <laughs> you you picked this one. You got any notes? Uh, I've hit a lot of them. Um, okay. There's a big turning point, which is what I was... I kind Yeah, of go ahead. Because he encounters Ruth. <laughs> yeah. Ruth's, Ruth's the turning point in the film. Mm-hmm. Because um, she claims to be not sick. She is. He sees her injecting blood um, and the, the medicine to keep it at bay. And she explains that she's from a group of other people who are also trying treatment to survive. And, and, and basically, while she's asleep, he transfuses his blood into her, which immediately cures her. You should so, ask first, though. I do that to my guests all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, man, she was feeling a little bad today. A little peaked. Let's hook her up. <laughs> um, but he believes at this point he can help her friends. Uh Mob mentality doesn't work out well for that. They spot no. him. And uh, lost in translation is the fact that he has a cure for him. Uh, they chase him. And he basically flees into a church now, where... This is a great Beastie Boys moment because you can just picture like sabotage, sabotage playing playing. while they're yeah. chasing him. Yeah. Uh, she basically double crosses him, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. she tells him that they're, the hipster vampires are coming. Right. Yeah. But he, re- I mean, do we just want to get right to the yes. end? Yeah. He retreats to a church where she does cry uh, for them to save him. They don't and spear him. Yeah. And he, he basically spends his final words calling them freaks and letting him know that he was the last normal man on earth. Can you do yeah. the freaks? <laughs> you freaks! <laughs> <laughs> Be gone! <laughs> well, and what's interesting too is as Ruth walks away, is Vincent Price an early uh, Chris Walken? I don't know, but I it was totally worth picking this just to discover Grizzly Abner's Vincent Price impression. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting as Ruth walks away at the end, and that little girl's like sad. She's like, "Oh, don't worry, we're safe now." He was the bad guy. Yeah, have fun with that, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And thanks for tuning in, folks. <laughs> Last man on earth. Last man on earth. Freaks. Um, I would recommend it to anyone <laughs> for the historical's perspective, but if you're just looking for sheer entertainment, this has you have it's to be a seeking deep it cut. out. Yeah. yeah. If you're really interested in Vincent Price or pre Romero, watch it, especially with Matheson writing it. That's all. There's a whole lot of 
horror icons involved here, but at the same time, this is not a fun watch, and it's not the easiest. Well, so Matt, you need to be really... No, and it doesn't leave you with it. a fun ending either. No, <laughs> not right. a fun ending. And Which let's, was not common then. I mean, it was... Yeah, because even Body, body Snatchers had a... Body around. Snatchers even had to tone down the original ending and yeah. make it happy. Yeah. But, you know, Matheson's greatest work will come later with Jaws 3D. That's what's up. <laughs> All right. Moving right along with our final selection, we've got a little film called The Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. Todd, after you take a swig of your cold beer, can you tell us about The Twilight Zone? Twilight Zone, the movie. The movie. 1983 uh, was directed by uh, Joe Dante with the um, segment It's a Good Life. John Landis did the prologue and the segment Time Out. George Miller did Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And an unknown to this day, Steven Spielberg, did the uh, segment Kick the Can, yeah. or later as we would know it, Hook. Hook. All right. Uh, to be honest, should I do actors? I left out like the 50 people in it. You oh, I'll, I can mention thoughts? them as we go. Okay. There's, there's a lot. Yeah, because there's like, I'm sorry, the second page is the actors in the film. <laughs> Uh, initial thoughts, history with seeing this? It's probably my about third time watching it. Um, just remember it as a kid. Uh, I just love this movie. Yeah. It's fun. It's it, every, every director has the, their imprint on it. You can watch it and go. You can tell who's yep. who. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's Landis. That's Dante. That's Spielberg. It's got their, their names written all over it. And, you know, now that I've watched bukus of their films <laughs> shout out to the wild one for whites of west virginia when i watch bukus of their films and i go back and i watch something like this and i go oh man this is them in their, in their craft right and so it's fun so i love this movie awesome hot toddy um i haven't seen this movie in a while i actually picked it up a while back on dvd so i'm glad i got to crack it open for for this episode because it's been a long time since i watched it my first viewing was probably when HBO or whatever pay channel we had uh, picked it up. And I'm going to be honest, this movie from the beginning as a kid used to, like, I still, well, when I'm in a car with somebody, I'm like, if this motherfucker says, do I want to see something scary? <laughs> because you and Brian Jackson both. If you're in a car with Brian Jackson, you go, you want to see something scary? He will start punching you. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, that got me good as a kid. Uh, I would say, uh, it's, like I said, it's been a while since I watched it. Watching it this time, um, I still love it. It's still a great movie. But I noticed how um, more, like, creep show and, like, some other anthologies than probably the original Twilight Zone was. But it's still it's still a fun watch. Um, I don't think I've seen it since I really knew the the full details of the accident that helped happen on set, which we'll I'm sure talk about later. So um, I definitely, after I, I viewed it, kind of did some more digging just because I was curious where where it would have taken place and and some more details. So um, obviously, as a kid, I had no idea that that some of the actors actually died on set. So uh, kind of takes a little bit out of the the segment that they do, uh, knowing that that happened. So. Fair enough. Now that I brought the room down, Vinny. Vinny? Um, I I know that I've seen it, but my memory is very faint of it. Like this was almost like watching it for the first time. There were other there were things that were like the big hits, like you want to see something scary, that kind of stuff. 
You ever seen uh, a grown man naked? The rabbit, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember, but it's a, it was faint memory. So this is the first time I've watched it, probably since I was a kid. Uh, still really enjoyed it. I love anthology movies yeah. anyway. Like that's that's hits big for me. So I love watching it again. Sure, great. Um, I love this movie. I always have. Uh, I was disappointed to not be on the show that where you guys covered Creep Show, Creep Show Two, Tales from the Dark Side. I love anthology movies, so I thought perfect opportunity to sprinkle this one in on a mash. Um, I know I go back to nostalgia a lot. My first experiences with horror, but this was one of them. This is one of the first movies. Jaws was the first newer movie that mm-hmm. I was allowed to see, but this was right behind it. And I can vividly remember my father fast forwarding through the discussion at the beginning of the first segment where there's a lot of slurs thrown around. Yeah. And then I was allowed to watch the rest of the movie. It was all for the most part kid friendly. Yeah. And so I loved it. Yeah. It was there was just enough terror, but it it, it wasn't unrelenting. There was sweet nature and funny and fun and all that. And it had a little bit of everything. So it was wildly entertaining to me uh back then and it still is and it's always nice every time i revisit it for it to still be good Mm -hmm. because you always kind of worry when you pop those in is this a product of the time um so with that said uh we will jump in the narrator through the film is burgess meredith who was uh Ah. star of one of the most famous Ah. episodes of the original twilight zone great voice for it that popped me when i realized burgess (laughs) was i was like yeah i think when if you're making a film in the early 80s let's Take the celebrated TV show, but we don't have Rod Serling. I'd say this is a good solution. Mm-hmm. He's He's got a voice that's familiar. He'd already been the trainer for Rocky. Yeah, He was well-known. He fit perfectly for that. So he runs through. I only know him from Burn Offerings. Uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a normal kid, you remember Rocky and the Penguin. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we get into the opening, which is, I guess, technically a wraparound, although the back end of it's very brief. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's one of the greatest openings to a horror film ever. Uh, we have Brooks, Albert Brooks and, uh, Dan Aykroyd just riding down the road together. Now this is directed by John Landis, who will also carry right over into the first segment we cover. Um, he is, they're riding down the road together, and it's much like the opening of an American Werewolf in London. You I, I got saw that. The two friends, yeah. except this time they're in the car. Right. They're out on the, the dark country road, and we go through the things that guys do when they're riding around together. They're dicking off. He's turning, turning the lights off to scare the one friend while they're riding around. They play a game where they're naming uh, – theme songs from TV shows yep. and singing them. And so it's as for as mundane as it is. Yeah. It's until the tape gets eaten. Yep. They got, yep. They had credence playing beforehand. Midnight and so it's this great opening with that. And it, it's not mimicking anything from the twilight zone right. at that point, you know, so everybody's kind of wondering what, what is this? Oh. So anyways, they, they go back and forth with that and then they get into the lights going off and scaring him. And then Dan Aykroyd says, do you want to see something scary? And he says, no, really, do you want to see something scary? He gets him to pull the car over. Uh, and then he turns, and he turns back around, and he is a blue-faced, like, demon-looking monster uh, that attacks right at him with this horrible, like, screeching growl. Shit's scary. It is. Oh, yeah, it's good. And these were two established comedians at that point. So it's just, I mean, really a, just a left hook for yeah. viewers, especially back then. Um, but I want to, I want this to be remade, but when Ackroyd turns and turns back, he's the, the judge for nothing but trouble <laughs> with the dick notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Get your dogs, boys. But it's a feature film, and we just have to ride with them for an hour and a half before that happens. <laughs> it's gold. Okay, so the first segment, Time Out, uh, and not really Time Out, that's the name of it, Time Out. Uh, that was also directed by John Landis. Our main star of that is Vic Morrow. Um, let's just get this out of the way right up front. Uh, there was a horrible accident during the filming of this segment uh, with John Landis at the helm. Vic Morrow, or the star, was beheaded. He, the helicopter Yikes. took his head off. It also killed two children yeah. that were in the Vietnam scene that we will get to in the segment. Um, they shouldn't have been working. The children shouldn't have been. Um, at those hours, there were laws against yeah. that, and that's where the real controversy came in. Because accidents happen. Sure. Now, you trust that you have professionals to have all this stuff orchestrated and stunt folks that know exactly where things are going to be. But all things aside, the the real bitch of it was that those kids shouldn't even have been on set. It, this was late at night. Like, they should have all been home and done for the day. And so that's where it really added in. It's like, were people tired? And so Landis went to trial on this. I don't think anything came of it. But it effectively buried his career. Yeah. He was massive before this. Now, he still had some hits, um, you know, but it, it never fully recovered in the no. way that it started. Because you think Animal House, American Werewolf in London, Trading Blues Brothers, Places, Blues Brothers, Coming I mean, to America. Yeah, he just massive hits, and I think Coming to America was maybe his one success after Afterwards, this. Yeah, I, I may be leaving one Be-Beverly out. Beverly Hills Cop Three was, and even uh, still, that's more relegated yeah. to. And, and it was sold off Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, so um, I won't do any more on that. But if you're interested in what really happened, the information's on the internet. It's a sad but interesting case. Uh, the good news is, is there's not any one particular scene where you're watching this and thinking, ooh, this is probably where it happened. Like yep. when you watch The Crow and yeah. you know the scene where it happened. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's where Brandon died. Uh, yeah. the, ki- so. the kids aren't even in the, the final product now, right? Nope. Yeah. They're not. Um, so, and I, I'll try and be brief with the descriptions of these, just because I know we have multiple. Uh, that that segment reminds me of the SNL sketch, the Bill Brasky. That's what those guys <laughs> remind me of. <laughs> so we open with Bill Connor, played by Vic Morrow, sitting in a bar. He is pissed off and angry because he has been passed up for a promotion. He then proceeds to let the slurs fly. He blames everyone from. Jewish people to Asian people to black people for all of his problems in yep. life. Uh, we have a neighboring uh, black man who basically tells him, shut the hell up. Yep. You can have your opinions. I just don't want to have to hear them. He leaves the bar angry. When he steps out of the bar, he steps into Nazi-occupied France. And we're in the Twilight Zone. So he is now going to get a taste. I Go nick- ahead. Uh, I, I nicknamed uh, Vic Morrow as MAGA, ma'am. MAGA, ma'am. <laughs> that should be the title of this. Um, but so we quickly quickly realize that he is going to take a, a walk uh, through the people that he is blaming his oppression for. Yeah. So we step into uh, Nazi-occupied France where he is immediately pegged as a Jew, yep. is fleeing from them, and we chase him you know, through the streets and up their houses and... He gets up to a ledge where they've got guns drawn on him. He's begging for his life. They fire at him. He falls. And where does he fall into? The South in the 1950s. He is now a black man getting ready to be lynched. Kind of the same situation with that. He flees from them. The terror is there. They can't understand why he's got such a nice gold watch. And he's pleading with him that he's not black. He escapes. He jumps into a lake. 
fleeing from them, where he comes up in Vietnam. He is now one of the Vietnamese. He has American soldiers firing at him. They throw a grenade, which doesn't kill him. It sends him back to France. Which I think the best part of all this, to point out, is this is Quantum Leap style. Yeah. He still looks exactly the same. Yeah, you never have to see him appearing different. Yes. Yes. So that way you're kind of feeling his uh, insanity in the moment. But he is then placed on a train, presumably to go out to one of the concentration camps. From the train, he can see his friends coming out of the bar. He goes back where he walked out of the bar at, but they can't see him. And we see him drift off. And, uh, you know, you feel sorry for him, obviously, in real life with all that happened. But for the character, you think, that's kind of fun to see a little justice for that mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about concentration camps, but maybe a lesson taught is nice. Sure. Uh, thoughts on that segment? You covered about everything. I just I think it's good. I think it was neat. Uh, well done. Yeah. And again, reminded me uh, as well of Quantum Leap. Yeah, and it, and it, and also that sets the tone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like okay, okay, this is twi- this is an updated Twilight Zone. Okay, I'm feeling it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it wasn't too heavy handed. No. And no. I thought it was smart that they opened with this because yeah. this is the only original one. Everything else in the movie is remade. Yeah. And stories that people are familiar with, or they pluck things from. Which, and I'm not even going to try and cover all the names, but even the names that they pull are from different famous episodes. Like, mm-hmm. for a super fan of Twilight Zone, this was probably a lot of fun for the first time because it's just overload without it ever being distracting. You could have never have seen the series, watch this movie, and still enjoy it. Oh, which yeah. I think is the key to its success. The second segment, Kick the Can, directed by Steven Spielberg with Scatman Crothers. Also has a brief appearance by uh, Priscilla Pointer who has been in a number of things. Uh, horror fans would know her well from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Uh, the basic premise for this is an old man named Mr. Bloom moves into Sunnyvale Retirement Home. He listens to the other elders reminisce about the joys the ex- they experienced in their youth. They're complaining about being older, and he assures them he has a way for them to feel younger. And so what this involves is him sneaking them out in the evening uh, once they're, uh, what's his name, Mr. Conroy, the one that's in charge of him, kind of a grump. Uh, they go out to play kick the can and they're instantly children again. And it's, it's pretty touching for a moment yeah. um, to see them all getting to, they got their clothes are huge on them now and they're thinking back to being young. And I, I always at first think, Oh man, this is kind of a mistake when we're wanting to do a full on movie. And then I think, no, it's not. This is why the twilight zone was great mm-hmm. because the twilight zone had all of it. Yeah. It was thoughtful. It was scary. It was wildly creative and so uh, i like that they don't dwell on this segment too long yeah but i thought it was a, a touching one uh so the kids go out um playing the game and then they they start thinking about it and they're thinking about where we're we gonna stay tonight uh, like their their lives don't make sense now if, if they're getting that opportunity thinking about their own children again. and grandchildren and thinking about the lives that they've led and how all that they've worked for they'll have to start over and it's a very touching moment to watch the because they're kids. They're right. played by kids. And the kids play their version of the adults so Oh, well. they're great. Yeah. The one grumpy old man looks exactly like uh, Jeff Dunham's dummy Walter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what you just said, little kid. <laughs> so they ask to be old again, and uh, that wish is honored. The, the segment ends with Grumpy Conroy. Um, one of them jets, does though, it, doesn't he? Yeah, the, the one swashbuckler stays, kid yeah, is like no, nah. he's like Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah, he he. Uh, you mean Peter Vincent? 
Yeah, he uh, he heads off on his own. Uh, Grumpy Conroy sees what's what's happened and, and wants in, and they're like, "Nah, nah, you're good." But the good news is about that is that he is seen kicking a can around in the yard the next day, and everyone is filled with joy and hope and like kind it. of appreciation for their existence and where they're at in it. This has the stink of Spielberg all over it from the minute it starts. This is even more sappy than usual Spielberg. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. But what, that's okay because it's brief. When did, because uh, this to me, uh, I don't remember this segment as much, and, and definitely the segment before I don't remember as a kid. Um, but uh, watching this segment now, it reminds me a lot of uh, Amazing Stories, which Spielberg yes. also was a that's good Oh, yeah. That's so I'm wondering if this, if this fueled that show. I can't remember when. I know they were around the same time period. Uh, Some wondering if maybe this kicked off uh, a little bit, you know, amazing stories, or or, or which was uh, maybe amazing stories was already in the works when they were doing Twilight Zone. Who knows? But yeah, um, I, I love too that as we close the segment out, we see Bloom head out and head on to the next retirement home. And he shows up there, uh, presumably to inject new hope and life into a whole different group of people. Uh, just closing thoughts on that one. Hey, miss anything? Anything you want to share? Just loved Roddy McDowell and Scatman Crothers in it. Very good. Um, third segment, It's a Good Life, uh, which was a remake of the same name. That's a pretty famous episode from the Twilight Zone. Uh, even casual fans know that one. Uh, Joe Dante directed it. Kathleen, Quin- Kathleen Quinlan, Nancy Cartwright, Kevin McCarthy, and Dick Miller. Uh, are some highlights of the cast and Bart Simpson, Nancy Cartwright, yeah, and Kevin McCarthy and, and Dick they Miller also did this on a Treehouse of Horrors. <laughs> were uh, regulars for Dante films, huh. McCarthy and Miller, especially was it, Miller. Was this the one uh, Sherry Curry was in, or is that a different Steph Curry? Uh, probably. Yeah, I'm trying Sherry. to remember Sherry Curry's face at the moment. Yeah. Liam Curry. <clears throat> um, so the basically. The original story, if I remember correctly, was a little girl instead of a little boy for this that he switched up. But uh, we have Helen Foley, who is traveling to a new job, visits a rural bar for directions and encounters a kid being picked on um, He's while well, he's trying to play a video game. She comes to his defense, and Helen leaves the bar and hits him in the parking lot, bummer, <laughs> yeah. um, and offers to give him a ride home. When she gets there, uh, she is greeted by a family who is... Uh, apparently just living on pins and needles and doing everything for Anthony's benefit. Uh, They're having ridiculous meals that he has requested uh, that has like ice cream, candy apples, uh, potato chips, hamburgers topped with peanut butter. Nothing wrong with peanut butter on your burger, by the way. Become famous. Uh, All right. Whatever. There's a television set in every room um, showing cartoons. and The house looks like a cartoon. Yeah, he is effectively running shit. And um, without dragging it out too long, we come to find out that that's not even his family. He's holding them captive uh, because he is lonely. That has been his plague. He has complete control over all these situations. Um, For instance, he makes Kevin McCarthy do a rabbit in the hat trick. And when that's not enough initially, he then turns it into a mutant rabbit. Which Um, looks awesome. Yeah, it does. Like possessed Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah. uh, when Helen is first visiting the house, we see the sister up in the room, and he says she doesn't talk much, and then they have her lean up, and you see that she has no mouth. So our our little bastard has effectively yeah, closed her, her mouth, mouth off. Away. Um, 
So long story short on this is we, we go through um, an example of betrayal where a note falls out of the purse of Helen's, the family members have put in saying, help us, this kid's a monster. Yeah, he's a monster. I hate it when that happens when you visit for any social gathering. Um, in punishment for writing the note, little Anthony puts, um, can't remember her name, I think it's Ethel, into a cartoon yep. where she is <laughs> eaten uh, by cartoon monsters. Um, yeah, it does get a little otherworldly when he takes her into like other planes. That would be my one minor complaint with yeah. it. We really didn't need to go that far. Did with it his feel to you like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Five at yep. this point? Yeah, it, it's it it. They should have cut it. Dante usually exercises a little bit better to restraint. He went a little long. too far it's, with it's it. It's a little too long. Yeah, I agree. Um, but basically, he explains to her that all of this has been because he is lonely. Nobody ever stays with him. Nobody ever loves him. Uh, and she believes in him. And maybe it saves her life. And we close off with them actually riding off into the sunset and all of the plant life on the sides of the car coming to life just by him driving by. So make what you will of it. I think the first half of the segment's much more entertaining than the second half. Yeah. Um, it always bogs down. Good placement, though, by the group to put this one right before yeah. the the straight-on balls-to-the-wall horror. Uh, any more thoughts on the segment? Nope. Cool. Uh, last segment, fourth segment, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which is also the remake of the same name that originally starred William Shatner. Very, I, very famous. I was going to say, to me, I yeah. feel like of Twilight Zone, this is, to me, probably... Like even bridesmaids reference this damn thing when she gets when she takes the pills and she's yeah. like, "There's yeah. a man on the wing." It's yeah. definitely one of the most oh, well yeah. known and a great one to remake too. Mm-hmm. They were able to get um, a little bit more extreme with it. Uh, directed by George Miller, who did all the Mad Max movies, and we uh, have John Lithgow starring in it. There's really not much to the plot of this other than Lithgow is uh, having a hard time flying. He, during a violent thunderstorm, we open with him uh, in an airport or an airplane bath, bathroom uh, trying to recover from a panic attack. Uh, the flight attendants talk him back into getting in his seat where he starts to, starts to notice a gremlin on the wing. Sorry, I'm, I'm not so high. Uh, <laughs> he, he notices a gremlin on the wing. As you would imagine, no one believes him. Um, things progress. He is watching this gremlin destroying the wing out there. Mm-hmm. No offense, that would be terrifying, terrifying if you're already nervous on a flight. hate it when that happens. Uh, he finally snaps and attempts to break the window with an oxygen, oxygen canister, but is taken down to the ground by another passenger. He then gets a hold of a gun, shoots that open, um, and uh, he gets the attention of the gremlin who rushes over uh, to destroy the gun. hate when that happens also. Uh, but, I mean, that's basically the crux, but there's really not a whole lot to the plot other than no. watching this man melt down, watching a gremlin on the wing, I and love, eventually scaring it off. I love that he tries to take a Polaroid of it, mm-hmm. and the flash just flashes off of the window, yeah. and you just see his reflection. I also love when the gremlin wags his finger at him. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Excellent. But, yeah, this one's good, man. I mean, it's high intensity, yeah. edge of your seat. Um, it's hard to really talk about because it's this is truly a visual yeah. performance. You just need to watch Lithgow melt yeah. down. Yeah. He is eventually carted off. Uh, 
which, viewed as insane. Which is how we do our wraparound. Gets him into the ambulance where who's our ambulance driver? Dan, Dan Aykroyd. Who asks him if he wants to see something scary. And then he put uses the remote and turns on according to Jim and shows him <laughs> that Jim Belushi has a career now. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> so uh, I like the uh, in the in the prologue too, there it's almost uh, when they're doing the TV themes, they do Twilight Zone. And they start talking about Twilight Zone TV show, which is kind of a fun touch. And also, I don't think a lot of people think about it, but uh, the dueling werewolf movies, The Howling and American Werewolf, like obviously they're like, well, they're both good because both directors are in this movie. And this is also right before Spielberg did Gremlins. So again, like Dan maybe Dante. Fuel to the Fire. Uh, Joe Dante was involved. And then uh, right before Dan Aykroyd went on to do Ghostbusters. So I kind of feel like this movie fueled a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of green lights. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love that. Highly recommend good, good, good times. Good times. Yes. Good times. Recommend this great to anybody, movie. even yeah. the casual fan. Yep. All right. I like this. This is a movie that even, like, my mom, who hates horror movies, would like. Because like, I, I think anybody. There's enough whimsy to it. Well, well not only that, but yeah. I, feel like, I feel like most of our, even if our parents didn't like horror, they, they would probably watched at least some of the Twilight yeah. Zone. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we made it. I mean, they didn't. Up. They didn't do the uh, the pig face segment, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great one. Eye of the beholder. That's what that one's called. Uh, so wrapping up another episode of the Monster Mash. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner, joined by my buddies, Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Stay scary. <laughs> <laughs>